Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. We'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Ministry Watch brings you news about Christian ministries as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, news that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective. And our goal is to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. On today's program, United Methodists are cutting their ties with the Boy Scouts, and Christian ministries are responding to disasters on the Gulf Coast, in Tennessee, and in Afghanistan. We'll have updates. We begin today with A Victory for Religious Liberty by John MacArthur's Church in California. Yeah, the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors on Tuesday voted to authorize a $400,000 payment to settle a legal battle between Los Angeles County and Grace Community Church over lead Pastor John MacArthur's defiance of COVID-19 restrictions in the early months of the pandemic. Under that agreement, which was unanimously approved by the board without any discussion, at least public discussion, by the way, the state of California will also pay the church about $400,000. Or in this case has a convoluted history. Can you hit the highlights? Yeah, I can. Uh, MacArthur and his church met in person uh, last year, despite both California's and L.A. County's ban on indoor worship. And that's when they were slapped with a lot of fines. Uh, MacArthur fought back. And in the midst of that fight, the Supreme Court ruled in February that California couldn't enforce the ban on indoor worship. And that put MacArthur and the church in a strong position on this case. Now, this legal win was not the only reason that MacArthur was in the news this week. Yeah, that's right. Um, even though they did win this legal battle, and uh, you could say it was a uh, struck a blow both for religious liberty, but also uh, for those who are fighting COVID restrictions just generally. Uh, MacArthur announced, though, this week, this past week, that both he and his wife had had COVID. And it was an admission that had already been fairly widely reported in the news media because MacArthur had simply dropped out of sight for several weeks back during the winter. MacArthur also disclosed that the settlement money that he and his church won would, in fact, be going to the Thomas More Society, the law firm which represented the church in this legal matter. Warren, let's move on to a story that involves COVID and another religious leader. The spokesman for the National Religious Broadcasters was fired for promoting vaccines on MSNBC's Morning Joe cable news show. Yeah, Dan Darling, Daniel Darling, the senior vice president of communications for the National Religious Broadcasters, was fired last Friday, August 27th, after refusing to retract a pro-vaccine statement that he had made on the Morning Joe program. Uh, the broadcast um, was on August the 2nd. Darling is an evangelical pastor and author, and I should say in a spirit of full disclosure, he's a friend of mine, someone that I have uh, interviewed a number of times for different stories that we have done. He told Joe Scarborough about how his faith motivated him to get a COVID-19 vaccine. Dan Darling described the vaccines as an amazing feat of discovery by scientists, some of whom share his own Christian faith. And Darling said he was 
proud, in fact, to be vaccinated. And the National Religious Broadcasters fired him for saying that? I mean, that statement doesn't seem like a fireable offense. So it's also ironic since the NRB is supposed to stand for freedom of expression. Well, you're right. But the National Religious Broadcaster said that it did not, in fact, fire Dan Darling for his beliefs or for expressing them, but for insubordination. Uh, NRB told Darling that his statements violated the organization's policy of remaining neutral on COVID-19 vaccines. Uh, Dan Darling was given two options, either sign a statement admitting that he had been insubordinate or be fired. And when he refused to sign that statement, he was fired and given no severance pay. And I understand that what you've said is Dan Darling's version of events, But did the NRB have anything to say? Yeah, they did. Uh, Troy Miller is the CEO of the National Religious Broadcasters. Uh, He confirmed that Darling is no longer with the organization. He did not respond to a question about the role Darling's statements about vaccines played in his departure. Uh, Troy Miller simply said, Dan is an excellent communicator and a great friend. I wish him God's best in all of his future endeavors. Up next, we have a pair of stories about big churches in feuds about leadership. Now let's start with a church in South Carolina whose pastor just can't quit. Yeah, even though he keeps trying. Uh, On Sunday, July 11th, so, you know, almost a couple of months ago now, the Reverend Todd Elliott got up in front of his church to say goodbye. Uh, He had been the pastor of the Beach Church, which is in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, a fast-growing church with about 1,600 members. Uh, For several years, uh, Elliott had been clashing with the church's elders uh, over who should run the non-denominational church. The Beach Church's bylaws and the elders maintain the Bible says that most of the authority should be on the elders. That at least is according to David Dodge, who was the chairman of the elder board. But Elliot disagreed, believing that the pastor should have more authority. Yeah, things came to a head, though. Uh, Elliot resigned and was told that he'd be given a year's severance, and the church would begin its search for a new leader. Uh, Elliot made this announcement and, in fact, received a standing ovation from the congregation when he left the platform. But that wasn't the end of the story. Well, not by a long shot. In what has been described as a coup or a revolt, some angry church members organized on a Facebook page called Beach Church Together rose up to defend Pastor Elliot. Uh, Within days, the beach elders, in turn, had turned in their resignations, and the locks on the church had been changed. Uh, The doors were opened for Elliot's return. In fact, he never missed a Sunday. On the very next Sunday, back in the pulpit, he blamed the bylaws for holding the church back and for causing previous pastors to leave. Things now, he promised, would be different uh, if the church would change its bylaws to put the pastor in charge. The dispute between Elliot and the Beach Church elders has left chaos in its wake, though. 
Yeah, it has. Uh, after all the elders resigned, the Beach Church staff and other supporters of the pastor organized an emergency meeting to suspend the bylaws and appoint a transition team so that the church could operate. But the resignations of the church's elders was rejected by the church's president and other corporate members, and they now say that any moves made by a transition team are invalid uh, because they violate the church's bylaws. Now, representatives from both sides in this conflict are now in meetings to try to hammer out a solution. Yeah, they are. And I should say also that there's a lot more to this story that we can't cover here. And there are lessons or at least warnings for pastors, deacons, and elders that are important for us to pay attention to, especially in this post-Mark Driscoll, post-James McDonald era, an era in which we've seen pastors run roughshod over their elders in the past. So I recommend to our listeners that they check out the entire story on the Ministry Watch website. Now, Warren, we said a few minutes ago that there were two stories related to church governance. What's the second one? Well, the second one involves a church in the Nashville area, um, an influential church down in Franklin, Virginia, which is just south of Nashville. A mega church um, had its services actually disrupted uh, last Sunday. It was the 9 a.m. service at Grace Chapel in Franklin, Tennessee. Pastor Rob Rogers was on the platform, and he was apologizing to the congregation for an ongoing conflict between himself and Grace Chapel's founding pastor, the Reverend Steve Berger. Now, Berger founded the church whose members include Tennessee Governor Bill Lee. He stepped down as lead pastor at that church in January in order to start a discipleship program for influencers in Washington, D.C., Yeah, that's right. But according to Rogers on Sunday, the transition between the two pastors had not gone well. And news of the conflict between the two had spread throughout the church in recent weeks. Rogers began the service on Sunday by apologizing for his role in the conflict. The apology from Rogers was repeatedly interrupted by outbursts from the congregation, including one church member who called for a prayer of repentance. That's right. And they actually did pause and they did pray. Uh, But after that prayer, Sarah Berger, now she's the wife of the founding pastor, Steve Berger, I mentioned earlier, got a hold of the microphone. She actually came up onto the platform and grabbed the microphone and began berating Rogers, the current pastor, who she said had not properly repented for sinning against my husband, in her words. Wow, that's quite dramatic. Well, yeah, it is. And once again, uh, it appears that politics uh, has been the source of a good bit of this division. Steve Berger, now remember, he's the founding pastor who left the church. A lot of names here, but I want everybody to keep them straight. He had caused controversy back in January following the January 6th riot, and some people call it an insurrection that took place in Washington, D.C. Steve Berger blamed uh, Antifa activists for storming the Capitol. Uh, Berger had been in Washington, D.C. that day to attend a pro-Donald Trump rally. Now, later, Steve Berger apologized for those remarks, uh, and he quickly thereafter stepped down as lead pastor at Grace Chapel. Rob Rogers, the new pastor, had spent a lot of the last few months trying to distance himself 
and the church from those controversial remarks. And meantime, the elders of the church are standing by Rob Rogers, the new pastor. They posted a statement on the church's social media page that said this, the elders of Grace Chapel firmly rebuke the outburst and resulting manner that erupted during our service. Uh, We are deeply disappointed in the way various individuals conducted themselves toward Pastor Rob, his family, our current leadership, and the elder board. Okay, Warren, let's step back just a little bit. I mean, we see open rebellion at the church in South Carolina, and now this church in Nashville. And in the recent past, we discussed situations at McLean Bible Church in suburban Washington, which has David Platt as its pastor. And Bethlehem Baptist Church is in the midst of turmoil, too. And that's a church that's closely associated with author and speaker John Piper. What's going on here? Well, it's a great question. And I think there the answer to that question is at least twofold. For one thing, in three out of the four cases that you just mentioned, uh, there was a generational shift that was happening. A founding pastor or a long-term pastor was passing the reins to someone new, and that transition simply did not go well. I think one of the lessons here is that transitions are tough, and they need to be carefully planned for. And the country is getting older. So that means that leadership in our churches is getting older too. Lots of churches are going to be facing this kind of generational handoff in the years ahead. And I also think congregations are, for better or worse, feeling more empowered these days. Social media and other outlets have given them a chance to be heard and to aggregate like-minded people around a particular cause. I think that what we have saw at Mars Hill Church with Mark Driscoll and other places has um, motivated people to not keep silent anymore. And so they're speaking out. Well, Warren, we have to take a quick break here, but when we return, a new development with the Boy Scouts, this one involving the United Methodist Church. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and we'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, we continue with news from the United Methodist Church is urging its congregants to cut ties with the Boy Scouts of America. 
Yeah, it is. Uh, and it's a pretty dramatic development, as a matter of fact, in light of recent bankruptcy court rulings about the Boy Scouts of America and sexual abuse claims. The United Methodist leaders are urging their churches to not extend current agreements to sponsor or house local scout troops beyond the end of this year. The United Methodist churches have official ties known as charters with about 3,000 troops. So this could be a huge disruption to the scouting program. Yeah, it really could be, Natasha. Uh, Those charters um, could make the churches liable, though, for abuse claims, despite that recent settlement that I just talked about. On August 19th, a U.S. bankruptcy judge approved an $850 million settlement to resolve some of the 82,000 sexual abuse claims. Yeah, that's right. We reported on that last week, but United Methodist officials this week say it's unclear how chartered organizations, and again, chartered organizations are groups like the United Methodist Church, and by the way, I should say uh, they also include other denominations as well, Southern Baptist, Episcopal churches. Many, many denominations are chartered organizations with the Boy Scouts. Um, They include thousands of their congregations that have sponsored scouting programs, and um, they say that the settlement talks and settlement agreements that have been taking place don't include these chartering organizations, and so that could subject them to ongoing liability in the process. Uh, An ad hoc committee representing the interest of United Methodists has remained involved in negotiations about the bankruptcy process, but that ad hoc committee issued a statement saying that it is disappointed and very concerned that the BSA did not include its sponsoring organizations, charter groups, in the agreement with the claimants. The denomination estimated that as many as 5,000 of its congregations, not only the 3,000 that are currently charter uh, organizations, but thousands more that have been in the past remain exposed to potential lawsuits. Up next, an update on what churches are doing to deal with various crises around the country and around the world. Yeah, I'm guessing that m- most of our listeners, Natasha, have heard about the terrible flood in the town of Waverly, Tennessee. 17 inches of rain fell in one 24-hour period there, and 19 people died. But churches and Christian organizations have responded quickly and generously. One example, the Waverly Church of Christ pews were packed on Sunday, and not just with people. Clothing, stuffed animals covered several rows of the church. Um, That was just one sign of the 200-member congregation's efforts to help victims after the historic flooding. And by the way, I should add that it helps that Waverly, Tennessee is only about 65 miles from Nashville, uh, the headquarters of the Southern Baptist Convention, the Churches of Christ Disaster Relief Effort, and other organizations that quickly mobilized in the aftermath of this disaster. But the recovery process is not going to be a fast one. No, it's not. Um, Waverly, for example, has only about 6,000 people. So when 19 people die and hundreds of homes are destroyed, that means that virtually everyone in town was either directly affected or knows someone who was directly affected. It's going to take a lot of outside help and likely for years to come uh, to bring restoration and healing to this town. And that's not the only crisis going on in the world. 
Well, you're right about that, too. Um, uh, Hurricane Ida um, has mobilized teams from the Billy Graham Rapid Response Team, as well as from Separatist Purse. And, of course, Afghan refugee support continues as well. And by the way, Natasha, while I'm on the topic, let me bring up a point of clarification that I'd like to make. Last week, we reported that Samaritan's Purse was not engaged in the Afghan airlift. We reported that because at the time it was accurate. In fact, Samaritan's Purse had reached out to us with a statement to that effect. However, since then, the situation has changed. They've jumped into the Afghan airlift in a big way. Samaritan's Purse has a DC-8 airplane that is capable of carrying just many tons of material and people, and they've gotten involved in other ways since our report of last week. Warren, let's take a look at one more story before the break. And that's a story you've been following for a few months now. It's the story of an Orlando radio station called The Z, WPOZ. What's the latest? Well, it's yet one more strange twist in that story. Uh, an article on the Christian radio industry website, His Air, uh, came out uh, a couple of weeks ago about the 26th anniversary of Z Ministries. And it generated immediate backlash on social media. For one thing, who celebrates a 26th anniversary? Uh, it seemed to be sort of a blatant attempt at garnering some positive publicity because it wasn't a milestone anniversary. And by that, I mean, it wasn't a 20th or a 25th or a 30th anniversary. And the year 26 really holds no significance for the station. Uh, the short article, in fact, consisted little more than a quote from Jim Hogue, the station's president and founder, and a few quotes from the station's Wikipedia listing. But it really unleashed a torrent of negative comments. Yeah, most of the comments referenced recent media coverage of what former employees have called abusive behavior on the part of Hogue. Yeah, that's right. And within minutes, there were about 20 comments uh, on the post, all of them negative, and they were almost as immediately taken down. We asked Ted Semper, who is the editor of His Air, why the posts were deleted, and in fact, why he chose to write that article in the first place. Uh, we asked Semper and Z Ministries if there was any significance to a 26th anniversary announcement, but both Semper and Sarah Brady, who is a spokesperson for Z Ministries, um, did not respond to our uh, questions. But former employees told us that there is no significance, except that it was an attempt to generate some positive publicity in advance of the station's annual fundraising event, which is scheduled to begin in just a couple of weeks. Well, Warren, we're going to take another quick break here, but when we return our weekly lightning round of ministry news, I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com.
Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Warren, we like to use this last little segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What do you have first? Well, Christian ministries play a significant economic role in the American economy. They serve the poor, they provide disaster relief, feed the hungry, and do a lot more. We've talked about that even on this podcast in the last few minutes. The nearly 1,000 ministries that are in the Ministry Watch database take in more than $37 billion in revenue annually. The vast majority of these funds go directly into ministry activities, and this number doesn't include the tens of millions of hours that are donated by volunteers to these ministries. Uh, Christian ministries, of course, thrive in all 50 states, but some states and cities have become known for their Christian ministry activity. Yeah, such as Colorado Springs, which is where I live. Yeah, that's right. Colorado Springs is home to hundreds of Christian ministries that uh, contribute more than $1 billion to the local economy. Orlando and Charlotte, North Carolina, where I am, uh, also have large ministry populations. So because of all of that, Ministry Watch decided to mine its database to identify the states that were home to the most ministries. And we've published a list of the top 25 states. Uh, We rank the states by revenue, uh, not by the number of ministries that are located in that state. So they but they track pretty much the same. Uh, We also included the names of the largest ministry in each state. Uh, Because the largest ministry in a lot of states was a college or university, we also included the largest non-college ministry as well. Uh, We think that uh, this is a pretty interesting and useful list, and it's posted right on the front page of our website. Encourage people to go check it out. Now, speaking of lists, you also have a list of the top 10 stories for the month of August. Yeah, we do. Uh, we do this every month. We started doing this six or eight months ago, and it's proven to be a pretty popular feature. We rank the uh, stories by the number of page views on the Ministry Watch site. And uh, if I wanted to torture you, I would tell you to go to the website find out what the top story is, but I won't do that. Uh, If you want to see the entire list, now you will have to go to the website, but I don't mind telling you that our top story for last month was our examination of Glenn Beck's Nazarene Fund. That story got more than 10,000 page views, which for us is quite a lot. Now, who do you have in the Ministries Making a Difference column this week? Well, Focus on the Family is one. They hosted um, its their Celebrate Life event in Dallas this past weekend. And Bob Fu of China Aid is also featured. Uh, China Aid is preparing for the second annual March for the Martyrs event, which is going to take place later this month, September 25th in Washington, D.C. Uh, given religious persecution all over the world, this promises to be a big event. And uh, I know Bob Fu at China Aid and other uh, sponsoring organizations are hoping for a big crowd. We'll be following that event and we'll have more as the date approaches. Do you have any other final thoughts before we go? Well, just my weekly reminder to give and live generously. Always support your local church first and your favorite and carefully researched Christian ministry second. And only then would we encourage you to give to Ministry Watch. But if you do decide to help us out financially, just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate tab up at the top of the page. And I'd also like to mention that there is a way that you can help us out that doesn't cost a dime. If you're listening to us right now, you're probably doing so on your podcast app. Uh, Just 
look at your podcast app and rate us. Uh, the more ratings we get, the easier it is for other, pe- other people to find us in the App Store. So it's a fast and free way to support Ministry Watch. Doesn't cost you a dime. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Guttard, Stephen DeBerry, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Ann Stike, Steve Raby, Emily McFarlane Miller, Bobby Ross Jr., Adele M. Banks, Alejandra Molina, Bob Smetania, and Christina Darnell. Also, thanks to Religion Unplugged for contributing materials to this week's program. I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.